Okay, guys, today we're, we're in week number two of our Seven Deadly Sins series. John, this is this, this, this particular sin today. We're talking about greed. This is probably one that a lot of the guys listening to this might say, oh, this is for someone else. I don't struggle with greed. Yeah, I bet almost everyone listening would put the line where greed begins somewhere farther out than their level of greed. We're, we're going to talk in this series about pride. We, we talked about pride last week. We're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about anger. And I would imagine most of our men listening would, would be like, yeah, that, you know, I, I battle with that sometimes. I battle with anger. I battle with lust. I battle with pride. But there's something about greed. I think it's a sneaky sin. Most of us probably don't think we struggle with it. Uh, and then we justify it when we are greedy. We say things like, I worked really hard for that money, so I deserve to spend it how I want. Or everyone else has a new iPhone, so why can't I have a new iPhone? I don't know what the future holds, so I need to put more away. I need to store more up. Now, you know, we're not saying that having a new iPhone makes you greedy. We're not saying that savings are a bad thing. But but if that's your reaction when you hear this idea of greed, that, you know, there's a chance that, that greed has more of a hold in your life than you think it does. Yeah, and I would also say to the people out there who are poor, you might struggle with greed just as much as a rich person. So, you know, you might be listening to this saying, oh, I don't struggle with greed because I'm poor. I don't make much money. But that guy over there must because he drives a really nice car. And as you're going to learn today, that's not true either. I think, John, wouldn't you say that this greed is sort of like an equal opportunity sin? Absolutely. And and I think that in our culture, you know, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told about greed in his time. Can you imagine how much more of an issue this is probably now? Because we live in a culture that constantly is telling you, you need more, you need newer, you need better. So I'm excited to dig into this today and see what God's word has for us. All right, well, let's start off with the definition here. Here's our working definition for today. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something. And, and money's one of the things, but it can be more than money, right? So it's a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed, right? And it, here's, the, here's the paradox. It's a sin that leaves us with less of what we really need. So again, greed is a desire for more, but it always ends up leaving you with less. And so the question really that we're going to encourage people in your small groups or in your mentoring relationships to talk about is, who gets to decide how much I need? Do I decide that? Is there a formula in the Bible for that somewhere? So these are all some of the questions we're going to be exploring as we as we talk through this, this deadly sin of greed. All right, so John, let's start with this. Greed, and author Graham Tomlin talks about this in his book. We'll put a link to it below. Greed is a false pathway to enjoying life. It's a false pathway. We talked about that last time, this false pathway. I think that if I'm on the pathway of greed, it's going to get me what I want, but it, it doesn't ever get you there. And it's, it's built on the lie that this life is all that there is. And so we're going to be talking today about how Jesus calls people foolish who store up earthly wealth, but they lack the real thing that should measure our lives, which is a rich relationship with God. So John, let's start with our passage, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And it's Jesus that's saying this. He said, beware Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, John, this is one of those verses that I would encourage every man to mark up in their Bible, maybe memorize it, because this is a big one. It really helps us to understand how Jesus viewed this. 
Yeah, and it's a very, what I would call, action verse. This first word, beware, the word that's translated beware there literally means to guard yourself. It's like put up your dukes. You know, you know, a guy's getting ready to take a swing at you, so you're going to cover. And that means that greed and covetousness, they're going to attack you. They're not passive. Like the devil isn't passive in this area. He's going to use greed. He's going to use covetousness to try and attack you. So you need to be on guard. If you're not on guard, it's going to hit you. It's going to take root in your life. Um, If that was the case again in Jesus's time, how much more do we need to do that today? Because our entire economy is built on the philosophy that you need more. You know, we see that in the ads that we're bombarded with. We see it on social media nonstop. Everybody's showing off their newest gadget, their, their cool vacation they just took. And again, not that those things are bad in and of themselves. I rejoice when my friends get to take cool vacations. But man, if I'm not putting my guard up, that seed of jealousy, that seed of greed can come in when I see those things. And, and Jesus reminds us that life is not measured by how much we own. Jesus said, you, you don't get it. If, if you think a rich and satisfying life is based on material blessing, you're going to miss out on so much. And I think one of the twisted truths about greed is that it almost always leads us to a feeling of lack, a feeling of scarcity. So when you and I are battling greed, what is our focus on? Our focus is on the things we don't have. And so we don't recognize all the blessings God has already given us. Again, not just material blessings, but if you're a believer in Jesus, you are called a son or daughter of the Most High God. He's he's already blessed us in so many ways. And then even on the material end, I would imagine most of our listeners are here in the United States. If you are in the poorest of the poor in the United States, you're still wealthy compared to a lot of the world's standards. If you have a garage, hear this, men. If you have a garage that's attached to your home that has a floor in it, your car has a nicer home than the majority of the world's population. If you have food to eat, if you have more than one set of clothes to wear, if you have any money in your bank account, even if it's you know, a handful of dollars, that puts you in the category of some of the most wealthy people when compared to the world's population. And yet, if that does describe you, I would ask today, how many of you feel rich? Do you feel rich or have you let culture and the sin of greed convince you that you're somehow lacking? Yeah, and I think this line that Jesus, it's such a, it's such a memorable, tweetable statement. Life is not measured by how much you own. To me, I think men in particular really need to wrestle with that. You know, and, and it's, this isn't something you read once and you say, okay, cool. Thanks, Jesus, for that. I think it's something you really probably need to bring into your prayer time. You know, it's something that you need to be willing to talk honestly about, um, not just with God, but with with a mentor, with your men's group, because I don't, I, I can't really speak for women, John, but I know so many men that, you know, their sense of self, self worth is tied up into the car they drive, the house they live in, the job, the career they have. Um, and again, we're not, I want to make sure that men understand we're not saying those things are bad, that those things are wrong. We're going to get to that. We'll get to all this because I think you can go too far with this. 
But for now, I think it's important for men to be honest about where you get yourself of your sense of self from, your identity, your worth. And I think probably more than women, men get that from the stuff that they have. And, and so they're measuring, maybe you don't even think about it necessarily um, intentionally, but it's probably in there for most of us. You're measuring yourself against other guys and what they have. And, and it's really important, I think, for us to understand this before we move on, that if you fall for that lie, then all the rest of this is going to fall apart. You know, it's uh, John, I like to golf. And, and what I've learned about the golf swing is if you get if you get into a position at the top of your golf swing and you're out of position, there's no way that you can get back to the right position and hit the ball consistently. And so, so much of a golf swing is just the fundamentals and making sure that you get to the top at the right, in the right way so that you can get back through the ball. And that's what I think this is here is it's like, if you don't, if you don't really wrestle with this part, that, that your worth is, it has nothing. I mean, man, you need to hear this. Your worth has nothing to do with how much you own. If you, if you can't buy into that, you're out of position already. And there's no way you can get the rest of what we're going to be talking about, what Jesus is going to be talking about here. Yeah. We look at all the examples in the Bible, right? I mean, the apostle Paul worked hard. Surely talks in some of his letters about how he worked hard to support himself, but he didn't have any worldly wealth, at least not at the end of his life. You know, he was a Pharisee before he came to Jesus. He might've been somewhat affluent at one time, but Paul certainly didn't tie his value to the Lord uh, into what he owned or the toys that he had for sure. Yeah. So, so that, so Jesus makes that statement, life isn't measured by how much you own. So beware and guard against every kind of greed. And then he tells a story, verse 16, he says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He, he had a good year. So, so then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, so up to this point, verse 19, John, I think most men could say, I've, been, I've had good years like that. Okay, so what is Jesus going to say next? Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything that you worked for? John, break down this parable. What's Jesus getting at here? Yeah, let's start out by maybe talking about what he's not saying. Because again, we don't want to put across the wrong idea that that wealth in and of itself is bad or hard work, etc. So the parable is not saying that you shouldn't work hard. And the parable is not saying that an abundant crop is a bad thing. Uh, there are many exhortations in Scripture for us to work hard, particularly as men. There are exhortations to save and to plan. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. Here's a couple of things that we do see in the parable. Number one, there's no thanksgiving from this man to God for God's providence. Right? We all know that it, it's God that causes the crops to grow. It's God that blessed him. We don't see any thanksgiving at all. There's no consideration to the needs of those around him, right? There, there's no thought of, oh, I have extra. I could, I could give to the poor. I, I can bless my neighbor. No, it's all about him. And he's thinking of an owner instead of a steward. Now, that's kind of a, a foundational thing, Brian. You talked about the top of the golf swing. Life is not measured 
by what you own is is something that's very foundational. The other foundational part of this conversation on greed is it's not ours. It's all God's. We should be thinking like stewards instead of like owners. And it, it's kind of a warning to really the philosophy that many of us may have, right? This guy stored away so that he has re, uh, resources for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That sounds like the American version of retirement. That's like the American dream right there. You did it. You accomplished it. So maybe one of the conversations you want to have with your mentor, with your small group is, is retirement even biblical? Now I'm not saying it's not, uh, but maybe, maybe our concept of retirement in America should be challenged a little bit. Yeah, because Jesus ends. Okay. So we started in verse 15. He kind of sets up the thing that he tells a story in verses 16 to 20. And then verse 21 he finishes it he with kind of the punchline. And he says this, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So John, I, again, I think it's really important for us to be clear about what Jesus is saying and what Jesus isn't saying. So what's his point? What's Jesus's whole point here in telling this parable? Yeah, the biggest issue the man had wasn't what he did have. It's what he didn't have. He didn't have a rich relationship with God. So again, wealth in and of itself isn't bad. In fact, God can use material wealth to, to bless others. You know, one of the ways we can show the love of Jesus is if you and I have excess and we can bless others material, that's one of the ways we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But it is bad if we pursue wealth in place of a relationship with God. And it's just made me ask over the years, I mean, I've been guilty of greed, just like I think every other listener probably has. What if men pursued God like men pursue wealth? I want the men to think for a minute about the amount of energy, the amount of time, the amount of dedication, the amount of labor they've put into pursuing wealth. What would it look like if we pursued God with that same intensity? You know, we, we use the term, we want to help people pursue God at our church because the word pursue has some very specific meanings, right? When we pursue something, there's, there's a focus. There is, there's an intentionality. We're not doing it haphazardly. And so even just think of how many years of education you went through to have the career you have now, right? Think of the sacrifice you made to be in the career that you're in. What if we had that same level of intensity towards the way we pursue God? Yeah, really. And so many men need to hear that. I, we, we both, it drives us crazy to see men who are leaders and, and uh, just gifted men in, in all these ways, which a lot of times converts to being successful financially in life, and yet who, who don't put a fraction of that energy into their relationship with God. And it, and again, then then you're just in the wrong position at the top of your swing, because because just like a pursuit of God can impact every part of your life, men, individual, your individual life. That means also your family and your marriage, your kids, your society, your culture, your your impact on the community. So just like your pursuit of God can can benefit every area of your life greed can destroy every area of your life. It's not, this isn't just like a person, just like all these sins. The reason these sins are deadly 
isn't just because of what it does to you and to your soul. It's because of what it's because of the ripple effects of these sins on everyone around you, including your family. And so greed is destructive at every level. If you that's that's why Jesus is, is saying to beware. You know, John, if we go back, we're looking at Luke 12, verse 15. If we go back to verse 13, the context for this whole parable that Jesus is telling us that we just read comes from verse 13. It says that someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. So the whole reason Jesus told this parable is because there's a guy that is having family issues because of greed. And so then Jesus tells this parable that that puts an umbrella on the whole thing, this whole issue. Yeah, and what Jesus had been talking about just before that guy's question was super deep theological stuff. I mean, you know, heaven and hell type conversations, eternal life, and this guy's oblivious to it. This guy doesn't even hear what Jesus is saying. We've been going through the gospel of Mark at, at church for the last several months, and we've talked a lot about how often Jesus would say, if you have ears to hear, hear. Clearly, this guy didn't hear what Jesus was saying. He wasn't really listening because of greed, because he was more concerned about his father's estate. And so greed brings destruction, as you mentioned, on every level. And individually, that shouldn't surprise us, right? Because all sin brings death. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, Greed is closely related to coveting. If you look in many places in the Bible, you'll see those words used almost interchangeably. So we've defined greed as wanting more than we need. So coveting is wanting more than we have. And and think of what those things do to you individually in your life. The first thing is that they rob us of contentment. And and for guys who don't have contentment, like my heart actually breaks for them. I'm not going to lie and say I'm always content, Brian, but I can honestly say I've had great seasons of contentment in my life. And I don't know if there's anything that brings a sense of peace like contentment. But when you're stuck in greed, you won't experience that. And then individually, greed also robs us of Thanksgiving. I read an interesting article not very long ago from a secular magazine. This was in Forbes magazine. It was titled Seven Scientifically Proven Benefits of Gratitude. And it listed physical health, mental health, better relationships, better sleep better self-esteem as some of the benefits of being thankful. Now, this is from a secular magazine that acknowledges the benefits of gratitude. And when you and I are stuck in greed, it robs us of that. So maybe a good question for the listeners to ask is, would you describe yourself as a grateful person? Or maybe even a better question is, would your friends and family call you a grateful person? Would they say you're a person who has gratitude? I think that's a really good conversation starter that, men, you could start with your family and with your with your friends. Okay, so then greed brings brokenness for you individually. But again, there's the ripple effect. So then it impacts your family. You know, we talk about this a lot on this men's podcast that that the Bible says that that men should be leaders of their family. Now, that doesn't mean we think women are inferior. That doesn't mean we think women can't lead, but men, you need to hear this. You, you will have the greatest impact on your family. You, that's how God designed it to work for better or for worse. And so if, if you, if you're, if you're broken by greed, then it's going to impact your family. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact 
your kids, they're going to pick up on it. You're, you're going to be leaving a legacy for them that's not a good legacy, if you believe the words of Jesus. You're going to be teaching them. More, more is caught than is taught in the home. You're going to be teaching them with your by your model, by your example. You're going to be teaching them things that they're going to carry into their marriages, to their careers, to their families. They're going to pass these, onto your, these things onto your grandkids. That's why it's so important to beware. And to deal with this in your own heart, like really look at your own heart and say, what do I need to change here? And we're going to get to some real practical steps, by the way. There's an antidote that you might be surprised about. We're going to get there. But I want to make sure that you understand that what you, how you do money, how you look at money, how you look at stuff, if you, if you have greed in your heart, it's, it's like a virus and your kids are going to get it. And, uh, and so I think it's important. Again, this is this this is the context of this story. Verse thirteen is this this guy had problems with his brother, John. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people who have money has brought so much strife into families. You know, in, inheritance issues. It it seriously, it's like destroyed entire families. So it's not just an individual problem; it's a family problem also. When we do memorial services, funerals, et cetera. I mean, it's an honor. It's one of the roles of a pastor that really humbles me, but I've, I've seen so many families that have had close bonds, close ties. They've gotten along well, they love each other. And then to your point, Brian, when it comes time to divide the toys, when it comes time to divvy out the inheritance, this sin of greed, you know, rears its ugly head and those relationships just get demolished in, in wounds that are so deep or created that oftentimes it's years before they're reconciled. And in some cases, I know families who've never reconciled. So this impact that it has on us individually definitely spreads to family. And then it only makes sense that it continues from there and, and it's destructive on a societal level. I want you to think about all the evils in our world that honestly would go away or at least greatly reduce if it weren't for greed, I mean, embezzlement in the workplace, sex trafficking. I, I know lust plays a role in that, but if nobody was making money off of that, if greed wasn't fueling that, you would see that go away almost overnight. The drug trade, if there was no money to be made in it, you know, unfair treatment of workers, all of these things that we recognize as, as a society are, are problems have roots in greed. Somebody somewhere is making money off that. And their desire to make money is more powerful than their acknowledgement that what they're doing is hurting people. Okay. So our listeners are out there feeling a sense of our our prayer is you feel a sense of conviction. You say, I've got to get this under control in my life. And you know, the younger you are, the better. I've got a, a young men's group that I, a discipleship group, and we're going to be talking through this topic. And so to those guys, I would say, look, the sooner you learn this, the better, because this is one of those things. I think that the older you get um, and the more, <laughs> I don't know, the, the richer you get, the wealthier you get, the harder it is to deal with greed. You're, it's like it's, it's, it's hooks get in you and it's just so much more painful. Um, to, to get delivered from greed. So if you're a young man, I really pray that you would consider this. And, and here's the thing, here's the, here's the antidote. The antidote, some people might say, okay, the antidote to greed is poverty. 
if, if that's what you think, you haven't paid attention because, because God's word doesn't call us to be poor. I'm not saying that being poor is bad. And we certainly are not saying that God word, God's word promises that you're going to be rich. That's not truthful either. That prosperity gospel is from the devil. That's not truthful. But the antidote to greed isn't poverty. The antidote is generosity. The antidote, you know, greed really causes us to look inward and be focused on ourselves and what we want. So the antidote is to look outward and to give give to give to others in need. So John, let's let's talk about this for a minute and let's let's be really specific about how people can be generous. Yeah, to your point, you I think some of the greediest people I know, I know that's going to sound really judgmental, are not wealthy. <laughs> So if you think being poor is going to make you more generous, it it's not. Poverty is not the antidote. And I know when we say this, it might seem counterintuitive because if you're struggling with greed, the reality is you already feel like you need more than you have. So you're probably asking, well, how is giving stuff away going to help? Well, this is another example of how God's kingdom is upside down. The last thing you would think would be the antidote to greed would be generosity. There, there's something in our our fallen nature that doesn't seem logical, and yet it's true. God's word says it's true. In fact, this is how Jesus teaches coming out of that parable in Luke 12, 33 and 34. He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So when you heard the first part of that verse, sell your possessions and give to those in need, what was your knee-jerk reaction? Right? Did that did that cause you to tense up? <laughs> did that did that cause you to go, wait, wait a minute, sell my possessions? So God isn't asking us just to do it for the sake of doing it. There's there's a promise on the end of that, right? He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. Why? This will store up treasure for you in heaven. God's not stingy. God's not anti-wealth. God is anti-temporal wealth. God wants you to have wealth that lasts for eternity. So he says, by doing this, you're going to store up true treasures, treasures in heaven that never get old, that, that no moth can destroy, rust can't mess with it. Now, look, I'll just confess, I don't know exactly what those treasures in heaven look like. I think the Bible gives us clues to what the rewards in heaven are, but it doesn't spell them out. But I do know this, if Jesus is using them to motivate us, they've got to be pretty amazing. It's got to be something that we're not going to look back and say, oh man, I mean, this is cool, Jesus. I like this I like this treasure in heaven, but that bass boat would have been cooler. <laughs> I can guarantee it's not going to be like that. Yeah, remember Jesus said you're earlier in Luke 12, he said, you're a fool. You're a fool to, to store up treasures, basically, and not have a rich relationship with God. So this is really him driving the point home later on in Luke chapter 12. And it, John, for me, it makes me think about retirement investment. You know, we encourage people, you should have a, a good IRA, you know, Roth IRA or a 401k. Like you sh- don't be stupid. Don't spend up, don't spend all your money right now. You, sh- you should save for your future because there's going to come a day when you're going to need that. Um, and, and, and really, this is an, an extension 
it's, it almost sounds cheap to call it that. It's so much more than extent, an extension of that principle. It's to say, you, if you're only thinking about that kind of treasure that you're storing up, man, you are so missing the point. You are completely missing the point. And so Randy Alcorn talks about this in his book, The Treasure Principle. I encourage people to pick up. It's a short read, but it's so powerful. And he just, he, he really jumps on this whole passage and he says, Jesus is saying that you, you need to think actually practically about it, that, that the, eternal, the eternal stuff on a practical level is so much more valuable than the temporal stuff. And, and when, when I think about my stocks, for example, you know, I have some investments in the stock market. It's so interesting, John, I don't know if you've got an app for that kind of stuff, but I, every morning after my devotions, I, I kind of take a look every night. I take a look. I see how those particular stocks, I'm not looking at a thousand stocks. I'm looking at a handful of stocks that I invest in. And this is, this is what he's saying in verse 34. He's saying, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. It's exactly what I do every night. It's because I've invested in those stocks, I pay attention to the stocks. But the desires of my heart are aligned with those stocks. But what he's saying is, this is true biblically. So, so if, if I'm not investing financially in the kingdom of heaven, so for me, John, what that means is I give, I give to my church, I give to my local church, I I, I do more, at least a tithe, if not more than a tithe to my local church. But then I give, there's some missionaries I give to. I give to, Tracy and I give to pursue God every month, very generously to pursue God every month. And w- what he's saying is, it's just like my stock investments. When I invest my money on a regular basis in the kingdom of heaven, what it does is it draws my heart to the kingdom of heaven. Because it says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So to me, the tense means something. The, the way Jesus says that is meaningful. He's saying, when you invest in it, you fall more in love with it. And if it's, if it's true for my stocks, it's true for my God. The more I invest in him, the more I fall in love with him. So men, and I always like to challenge dads with this. If you're just, if you're just like tipping God every once in a while, but you've got more money in your RV or in your boat or in your vacations or in your ho- house or in your cars. It, it not only not only are you falling out of love with God because you're falling more in love with your stuff, but so also will your kids. Your kids will pick up on that, and you're leaving a legacy that is going to destroy your kids. I know those are strong words, but I really believe it. I want to point out one other thing in that verse 33 and 34 before we move on to our next passage. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. But but really our attitude is, are they our possessions? Are, are they really our possessions or are we just stewarding those? You know, Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's really all just God's, and and if you want to push back on that and say, yeah, but it, you know, it's my ability, my hard work, earn those things. Again, who gave you the ability to work? <laughs> who gave you the skills you have? The Lord gave you that as well. So, when we have that mindset of managing what God has given us versus owning it, it really has such a foundational impact on the way we view money. And to your point, Brian, about where our treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
we're talking mainly about financial investment because we're talking about greed today, but but our overall investment in the kingdom of God, our, so not just our money, but our time and, mm-hmm. and our talents. If, if that's where we're investing, then like you said, we're going to fall more and more in love with God and, and the things that break God's heart are going to break our hearts and the things that God loves to see are the things that we're going to love to see as we invest more and more in him and in his kingdom. Yeah, we, we've spent most of our time today in Luke chapter 12, so I encourage people who are listening to go back and read that whole chapter again. It's just such a powerful chapter when it comes to greed and money and how to think about all this stuff. But let's finish, John, with one more passage. This is from Paul's writings, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18. And, and 1 Timothy is one of Paul's um, pastoral letters. So he's writing he's writing to Timothy, his protege. Timothy's a leader in the church. And, and at the end of 1 Timothy, he gives he gives Timothy instructions to give to the church. And here's what he says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good words and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And I think it's this is it's helpful for us to make sure to hit this because you know we look to God and his word and all that we do. And so it would be really easy John to go all to swing at the end of this topic to swing all the way and some people historically have done this to swing all the way to the other side and say God wants you to be poor. He wants you to be poor and impoverished. That's actually not biblical. He is saying he doesn't say teach those who are rich in this world not to be rich. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. So he's saying he's saying to them, tell them to use their money to do good. He, so he's not saying be, become poor. He's saying leverage the gifting, your leadership, your ability to make money. If you have that, if you're listening to this and you have that, thank God. I thank God for you. I thank God for people like you. But my message is be a giver. It, it drives me so crazy, John, to know that you and I in our church are some of the biggest givers in our church. And I know how much money we make compared to so many other men in the church. We should not even be anywhere near the top 10 givers in the church. And yet, sadly, we are because we understand this principle that we give generously. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't know, brag or anything. I'm just trying to challenge men. I, I want men to hear this, that that you you if you make good money you should be one of the biggest givers in your church you should be giving to godly organizations like pursue god and missionaries and things like that like you should be a very good giver you're never going to regret your giving to the kingdom of god well and there are rewards with it so i mean we we could stand here and say you should do that just because god said so but because we love you because we want God's blessing on your life. And again, we're not talking about prosperity gospel, but there are blessings that happen when we treat money the way God calls us to treat money. I have seen God do so many amazing things in my life when I have stepped out in faith in regards to being generous. I mean, more stories than we could than we could uh, talk through on this podcast. And, and so I have a level of faith in God's provision that I'll bet 
many on this podcast don't have. And again, I'm not saying that to brag either. That has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God's faithfulness. Our faith in God and his provision is a muscle. And if you don't ever exercise it, it doesn't ever get stronger. It doesn't ever grow. So if you've never put yourself in a position where God had to come through, then you don't get to experience that. I've experienced that multiple times where my family was in a position where if God didn't do something, you know, things were going to get ugly financially and God has always come through. And so now I, I have the opportunity that I get to look back on those times and I see God in his faithfulness and that causes me to love him more. That causes me to want to worship him more. That causes me to be able to trust him the next time something comes up. And then the, the part of, of this verse that really challenges me is the trust. Like you said, Brian, he doesn't say, hey, teach the rich not to be rich. He says, teach them not to trust their money. You know, we, we've tried to be pretty disciplined, my wife and I. And, and so we've, you know, we've accumulated some savings. We, we have a little bit of money for retirement and those kind of things. But just not very long ago, a, a young man that attends our church was diagnosed with cancer. And he's got pretty decent health insurance. But every penny he has is going to be wiped out from the sickness. And if I were to have a long-term disability or something, even though our church is very generous, we have great health insurance, like the, the money I think I've put away, it, it would be gone. Like every penny of it would be gone if just the right circumstance came along. And so it's just a great reminder to me not to trust in wealth, but to trust in our amazing God who gives abundantly, who is our Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And as we become more and more like Jesus, as we rest more and more in God's provision, I think we'll find ourselves being more and more generous because that's who Jesus is. And like you said, John, the real reward, well, it's not the real reward. The real reward is relationship with God. But the temporal reward is, is you actually can enjoy the stuff you have. Because that's what Paul says. He says, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I love that, that it's, Paul is telling us that God wants you to enjoy. I want people to hear this. He wants you to enjoy what he gives you, the material things that he gives you, but you won't if you're, if you're just devastated by greed in your heart. You're just not, you're, because you're always going to want more. You're always going to, that's what greed does is it, it makes you want more. So when you want more, you'll never be content. You'll never be able to enjoy what you already have. So there's just such a simple, it's not just an eternal principle about storing up treasures in heaven. That's a huge part of it. But again, it's, it's counterintuitive. But if you, if you can be generous, if you can be generous with what God has given you, whether that's a lot or a little, if you can be generous, you'll actually enjoy the stuff you keep. And and it it's like the kingdom upside down thing. It doesn't even really totally make sense. But anyone who's experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That when you're generous, then God allows you to enjoy what you have. You begin to live this, you know, John 10, 10, this, this life to the full that Jesus wanted to give you all along. And that's why greed makes the top seven list of deadly sins. And so we want to encourage you to be generous. Now, I don't do this a lot here on this podcast, but I will say this. If you're listening to this and you enjoy our, our Pursue God podcast, maybe you use our Pursue God resources at church or with your family or with a small group or one-on-one, -on -one, 
in a discipling relationship. I want to encourage you to be a giver to pursue God. Pursue God is a separate 501c3. It's separate from any kind of a church. You know, John and I pastor at a church and and we are very grateful to be able to do that, but but the Pursue God resources and the ministry of Pursue God, the worldwide ministry of Pursue God really is funded just by generous donors around the country, around the world. And we always encourage people, look, give to your local church first and foremost. But then on top of that, you should be giving to um, God-honoring, faith-promoting, biblically-based ministries around the world. So that could be missionaries. It could be parachurch organizations. Pursue God is one of those organizations. If you want to become a giver to Pursue God, check out our website, pursuegod.org forward slash donate. You can sign up for a, a giving level. I encourage you to be prayerful about that and to grow in your grace of giving and really to prayerfully consider Pursue God as one of those opportunities. So anyway, John, thanks for this. This was deadly sin number two. This was greed. There's seven of them. So make sure to join us next time as we cover the third deadly sin.